Hey guys, welcome to The Road You Leave Behind here on Outsider. I'm your host, Marty Smith, and we have an amazing show for you in episode eight with Craig Morgan. His path is amazing. He's a great American. He's a patriot, a veteran of the United States military, and I got to spend a lot of time with him, about an hour, discussing his path to country music superstardom. Y'all are gonna love this episode. Craig's an amazing person. We discuss his military background. We discuss what his service to the country means to him and he was also very vulnerable in discussing the tragic passing of his son i think you guys will learn a lot you'll be inspired by this episode with craig enjoy it this is the road you leave behind there he is what's hey, up man how you doing man i'm a blessed man how about you i'm well I appreciate your time, man. I know you're yeah. busy. It's a great pleasure to get to spend time with you. My producer, Sam, is on as well. And uh, he's going to record this. Sure. Uh, first, uh, it's a real pleasure for me to welcome Craig Morgan to the road you leave behind here on Outsider Media and Outsider.com. I want to start with growing up outside of Nashville. Brother, uh, like what was your upbringing like? Grew up what, like oh, about a half hour? outside of nashville uh about an hour uh, 40, about an hour right yeah, 45 minutes to an hour and um uh, i mean i grew up in lower middle class you know parents didn't have a lot of money my dad was a musician um so i kind of grew up in and around the music um used to meet buddy cannon one of the biggest producers in the business they used to have breakfast at the c bond restaurant ever every two or three days or so Vern gosen used to come in there so i grew up you know around these people off and on my whole life but uh i think growing up around it i didn't really it it, it wasn't something that i aspired because it was always there you know what i mean um it wasn't something i aspired to do i didn't think um obviously i ended up <laughs> changing my course god did <laughs> so you're having breakfast with the voice just walking around walking around having breakfast with y'all that's funny Oh yeah, I mean he ate. He used to eat, when they when he lived out there. He ate at Seabon at least three days a week. <laughs> so when did you decide that music was going to be the path? How did that unfold? I don't know. I'm working on it. <laughs> 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 you know, it wasn't. I, I think you know when I being in the military when I left home, uh, went to college for a year. That wasn't for me. Ended up joining the, the army. Uh, when I was stationed away from home, I think that's when I realized I kind of turned to songwriting. Uh, I didn't do it thinking again that it was going to be a living because I was loving the military. I loved being in the army. Uh, I, I, I was good at it. <laughs> um, but when I would have downtime, I would sit around and write songs, and pick guitar and make stuff up, you know, and I, I think it was something that was always a part of me. I just kind of half ignored it during my childhood and my young adult. So it wasn't until I got away from home and I think missing home made me do the things that I had not done or aspired to do as a, as a, as a younger person or kid, I should say. I was still young then. <laughs> what was your dad's career? Uh, if, if he was a musician, what, what, what did he play? Where did he play? Well, he, he used to play, there used to be an old show called, uh, Pop Goes the Country, Ralph Emery show. My dad played okay. bass on that show. 
Uh, he was part of a band. It was his brothers. They were, you know, offered a record deal back then. This is way back. You know, we're talking in the, you know, mid, late 60s, early 70s time frame. Uh, so it was a different world then, too. Uh, and, and they all decided, you know, they were a family. Uh, all of the brothers had families. And they decided that rather than pursue that business, again, because it was so much different back then, uh, and not be able to make money. They all opted to do it just for fun and, and didn't pursue it professionally. Uh, and they still did it uh, forever. My dad can still sing like a bird, man. That's so cool. So he was on that show with Ralph Emery, huh? That's yeah. neat, man. That is, that's the roots. I mean, that's beautiful because that's the roots of the city. That's the roots oh, of the man, genre I, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember going to watch him do tapings at TNN. Uh, oh, yeah. And, uh, I hated to go. I didn't want to go. I, I remember always fussing as a kid going, I don't want to go up there and sit and blah, blah, blah. You know, and I remember seeing George Jones and Tammy Wynette backstage arguing and stuff like that. You know, it's just a long time ago. As a little boy, you get to experience that stuff. Isn't it funny how we are as kids? Like I work in sports, right? Like that's my life. I go to this event and that event and interview this person and that person. It's blessings beyond my comprehension. My kids don't give a half a damn. They yeah. do not care. I mean, they couldn't care less. And it's like, hey, that's Nick Saban. So like this is this is the greatest that has ever done it. Oh, that's cool. But it's just fun. Like you're backstage with George Jones. How old are you at this time? Oh, shoot. Probably six, seven, eight years right. old. I don't, I don't have a lot of memories of my childhood, to be honest, because uh, it's so long ago. <laughs> and I filled my head up with a lot of other stuff since. I have to do a brain dump every now and then. But, uh, but that's one that stands out of me as a kid. Uh, another was we have a place here called Cheekwood. And every year, every uh, December, they do Christmas trees from around the world, uh, decorated from around the world. It's a pretty cool little deal. And I remember being in uh, middle school at some point. I was old enough to be thinking about girls. Let me put it that way. Uh, <laughs> trying, to, trying to impress the girls, you know. That and, is a uh, line of demarcation in our youth, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> and uh, we went to Cheekwood on a field trip from school. And they wanted someone to sing the national anthem. So I said, I'll, I'll sing the national anthem. You know, I'll do it. Trying to show off for the green thing. But after I finished, lo and behold, true story. Uh a lady walks up to me and she says, young man, someday you're going to be a famous singer. And I said, oh, thank you. Yes, ma'am. You know, my head swelled up because I was a kid, just sang something. That means the girls probably liked it. Well, that lady was Minnie Pearl. Stop it, man. Really? Yeah. And I was inducted into the Grand Ole Opry, unbeknownst to anyone, not planned, on Minnie Pearl's birthday. That is fantastic, Craig. That's a God thing, man. That is that is a God thing. Yeah, that's so bigger. Can, that's know, bigger than I, you. I didn't want to be in this business when I first, uh, as a kid growing up, and even when I was in the army, I played guitar and wrote songs. I loved it. I did it more for fun than anything. But I knew that uh, it was hard to make a, a living at it, especially in the beginnings. You know, uh, so it wasn't something that I aspired to do as an artist, especially. Now, as a writer, I always thought if I could get a gig as a songwriter, I'd love to do that. And so that's the that's what really helped me to transition away from the military into this business was the fact that I, I, I was offered a publishing deal writing songs. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. I don't have near the courage that a lot of these people that pursue this dream of coming to Nashville when everybody in Nashville is a songwriter and an aspiring artist. 
but they just leave everything and come up there and try it. I'd have never done that. But for me, I was leaving the military, but I was coming home. So I figured, you know, worst case is at least I'm at home, I'm around family, and then I'll go back in the army when it don't work. But it worked, and here we but are. But it sure, it did work. And I can't wait to kind of get into that. But you say something there that intrigues me. The, the, the definition of making it in Nashville could have several different avenues or roads down which you could go, right? So yes. how do you personally define that, Craig? How, what is making it? Well, uh, I have <laughs> I got to be real careful because I wouldn't want anyone out there to think that for one second that I haven't appreciated every aspect of my career. I get to sing and write songs for a living, and I've paid bills doing that, and that's crazy to me. Um, anybody in any form of entertainment is blessed beyond anything they can fathom. So, so I don't take one bit of it for granted. Having said all that, I got in this business for the business. I had a wife and kids and I needed to make money. And the only thing, the only reason I, uh, I, I, uh, I pursued it was I knew that if I was successful, I would make a lot more money than I would at anything else that I love doing as well. <laughs> so that's the reason I pursued it. And fortunately, I was successful enough. And, and I, again, I'm, I'm grateful for it. But that, you know, for me, the success comes in uh, one thing is the, the financial success. When you're able to pay your bills and, and your kids go to college and don't have to worry about college funds because you busted your butt for the years in the, on the road, those are the things. And when you do other things for other people, you know. Um, but the other thing is, for me as an entertainer, if you take away that aspect of it, if you take away the money aspect, is being a member of the Grand Ole Opry. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think there's a greater honor for a country music singer. And for the life of me, I can't imagine someone not caring about that because it is the cornerstone. It is the foundation. Uh, it is a, a, a temple piece of our genre. So to become a member of that and knowing that there are just over 200 members since its inception, only 70 something living members today. Uh, that may be, in my opinion, that was when I when they made me a member of the Grand Ole Opry in 2008, I said, I might be in this business for a little while. Because <laughs> up until then, I kept waiting to go back in the Army. <laughs> well, you had hit after hit after hit at that time. And we'll again, we'll get into that. But I want you to walk me blow by blow through that day since we're on it. That day in 2008 when you show up at the Opry, I presume you have no idea. They typically surprise people with that honor. How did it unfold for you? Well, they surprised me at a different location. We were doing a, uh, okay. we were filming a, a TV special in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, uh, a military installation where I was stationed. Uh, I, was, I was a paratrooper out there. And we were filming a thing called Back to Bragg, a TV special that was gonna air on TV. And that's where John Conley, showed up at my show to invite me to become a member. But it wasn't terribly unusual that John was there because his son had served in the military and was out there. So when I seen him, I thought, oh, he's probably visiting his son. So, uh, and John, I, I always sing rose colored glasses in my show. I used to do it a lot. I don't do it quite as much, but I still do it some. And uh, in the middle of the song, they had given John, my tour manager and engineer, had given John a mic. And, and as I start singing the second verse, I'm thinking, damn, I sound just like John. 
<laughs> and, uh, but it was John singing and he walked up on stage and it was, a, it was a cool moment. And then he asked me if I would like to become a member of the Grand Ole Opry. And I just, how'd you it. react? Did oh, you? I, man, I started crying and, you know, it was, it was funny because I was at Fort Bragg with a lot of, uh, a lot of great Americans who I know in the, in the special forces and in the special forces community there. And a bunch of those guys were standing to the left of me beside the stage. And I looked over and they were crying. And these are guys that have killed more people than smallpox, more bad guys, <laughs> really great American tough men, you know? And, uh, so when I seen that, it was just, man, I just completely lost it. So 101st airborne, right? Paratroopers. 82nd, 82nd, 82nd. Okay. Okay. I did, some time, I did some time with the 101st at Fort Campbell also. Okay. So, uh, how how did that how did that happen? Let's let's walk through kind of your military progression and the perspective. I'm I'm really intrigued by how our life experiences offer us perspective moving forward. And to me, there is no as an American, there is no greater luxury than freedom. I mean, it's it's the it's the ultimate ultimate blessing to be able to walk out our front door every single day and do and go and be and aspire to do whatever in the hell we want if yep. we have the drive and the opportunity. Yep. And it's guys like you and your brothers, by the way, thank you for your service, who offer us that opportunity. So offer me that perspective, Craig, that, that the military gave you. Uh, well, you know, you, you said something, if you have the drive and opportunity. And, and I hear people say that we don't, we don't always, we're not always given the opportunity. That's true. Sometimes you got to create the opportunity. You got to make the opportunity. Uh, and that requires more drive than the standard drive. You got to have you got to have the will and the desire to be successful. I'm always frustrated by, by that when I see people that, uh, you know, talk about how some of the more wealthy, you know, uh, have more. And but but I know some very, very wealthy people, like really super wealthy people. And these are people that sleep four hours a night. They work seven days a week, three hundred and sixty five days a year. And they never, I, I, mean, I know guys that watch four TV stations and read two magazines at the same time because they're trying to become smarter, faster, and better at whatever it is they're doing. Uh, and that's drive. And that's what it takes. So you can't work and you can't work eight hours a day and go home and drink a beer and watch TV and expect to be as successful as the guy who's working 18 hours a day uh, you know, doing all of the extra. So they, a lot of these guys have to create their opportunity. They take advantage of, and I don't mean in a negative way, they take advantage of every situation that's afforded them and turn it into something. Um, for me, the military taught me something that I don't think you can learn outside of that. And that is that, that appreciation for that freedom that we experienced. And that was afforded me and I learned that because of my opportunities to go overseas and see other countries and experience other cultures and see just how fortunate we are. Um, and, and that's something that, like you said, anything we do in life, we kind of carry those things forward into our, our next phase of our life or next whatever it is we're doing, next job or whatever. For me, being in the military, getting up every morning, doing physical training, studying your job, you know, and you literally trained every day depending on what your job was. I was a forward observer. So we trained all the time. And when we weren't training uh, on our own, we were training as a group and with the infantry and with other armed service, armed services and with other countries. 
So we were always trying to better ourselves at our jobs. And, I, and I'll be honest, I'm a little lazy at that in, in my music. Uh, I'm not as, you know, I don't train with my music as much as I probably should. I mean, I got songs that I wrote that I probably can't play completely on the guitar. You know, that's just wrong. <laughs> but I was never like that in the military. But the one thing that it taught me was this great, uh, is a sense of appreciation for, for how fortunate that I am in particular and my family and I think us as a nation. Unfortunately, I don't think everyone out there sees that. Uh, they don't see it. They, you know, uh, for whatever reason, you know, they're not happy with where, where we're at. And I'll be honest, we can always improve. We all know that. There's always room for improvement to say, you know, there's a lot of tensions in our country right now to say that, you know, there was never a race issue in this country. You'd be, have to be an absolute asinine imbecile because it, it is. I, and I think there's still racial people in, in our country, but this, this is, we're not a racial nation. Uh, we're a, we're a beautiful country with people who have a passion for human life and love and friendship uh, somehow we gotten away from that. And the, the military showed me that when I was in the army and I was talking to another army buddy, just a few days ago in Florida, we were talking about this. I didn't remember, uh, any racial, you know, I didn't care what color the guy was, or I didn't even care much about his religion. As long as he, he had my six and he knew that I had his, and we did our jobs together and we cared for each other. It was so weird that dynamic didn't exist for me. And I know it does for some in the military. I've heard some stories, but generally in the, in the main uh, overview, it wasn't an issue like we're experiencing in this country today. And it saddens me to see that. So. But the military taught me a great deal about how fortunate we are. And I've carried that forward today. Um, you know, as we progress in my career, you know, when I first started, man, I was happy to sing in the PX in the frozen food section, just so somebody could hear my new song, you know? And uh, as we progressed in our career, we get a little less, uh, uh, a little less uh, uh, tentative to that. We would prefer not to sing in that. We're gonna wait until we can sing on the stage. Uh, but, but sometimes we have to, have to look back and, and reflect and we have to be real careful not to over inflate our value and we also have to be careful not to undervalue our our product but uh but the military taught me that that no matter how difficult it may be uh at the time you still got a mission to accomplish what's a forward observer do calls for fire we adjust call for and adjust indirect fire so any bullet that's sent to the battlefield that's not fired from a direct fire asset like a weapon shoulder fired so mortars, artillery, close air support, naval gunfire, uh, any type of firepower that hits the battlefield. I was the guy on the ground telling those big guns and, and the aircraft where to shoot. Lazing targets, you, doing all that kind of stuff. So when you have that kind of job for 10 years, right? You were in for 10 and I know you were, you were in reserves for another almost 10, right? Yeah. Seven and a half. That was active reserve too. Active reserve. Okay. So when you have that kind of job where you're directing artillery, where to, where to land, where you're at basically directing your guys where to send the stuff. Yeah. How does that impact your perspective on like, other jobs like other jobs have to seem so 
boring and like useless when you have that kind of job. <laughs> yeah, you, you pick up hobbies where you're doing things that are similar. <laughs> yeah, right. Blowing uh, a bunch of stuff up all the time. I love to hunt and I also work and uh, work with a couple of organizations uh, dealing with human trafficking. Uh, so I still keep myself mentally, physically, actively employed in the arena to some degree. Uh, I try to, you know, uh, I stay busy. Um, but I, I will say this, the, the longer I'm away from that, the, the harder it is uh, to be that guy still. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but people ask me, how did I transition from the military into what I'm doing now? And, and, and it's not a joke. I literally tell them I'm still working on it. Because when you do that for so long, it becomes such a big part of who you are that it's uh, like, you know, like you said, the other stuff can be a little mundane, you know, and everybody's, oh, it's a big deal. We got to show and oh, it's so loud or whatever. Like, no, a 105 millimeter howitzer going off 60 yards from your <laughs> OP, <Right>. that's loud. <laughs> when it's so loud, your ears bleed. <laughs> You're still so committed to championing the military. And I know you've done countless USO tours and shows for our troops who are actually in conflict and, and that type of thing. Why is that important to you to give back that way? And what do those guys say to you when you're giving of your time like that? Uh, I, I think it's so important for us as a society to support those men and women who are willing to put themselves in harm's way for us to keep that freedom. Because here's what, here's what's important. Uh, when we talk about freedom, we talk about our religious freedoms. We talk about our financial freedoms. We talk about all these things. None of that stuff, none of those things will happen if we are not a free nation. History is what it is. It is, and it's true. It is a truth. These countries where they lose their freedom of any freedom, but, but in particular, they lose their, their sense of freedom. They no longer have religious rights. They no longer have uh, rights to protect themselves. They no longer have all these things that we still have as a free nation. And, you know, I've heard you, you, you can see there's people that will talk about other free nations that might live a more socialistic uh, style of life, uh, but they don't have the freedoms that we have. You go to various countries in Europe, you can't walk out of your house and go squirrel hunting and do the kind of stuff that we can do. I mean, it's just insane. And, and, and the problem is it's due to ignorance. Most people don't know. So, so that freedom is so important. And, and it, we as a nation must absolutely make sure that we are supporting those men and women that are doing that, that are willing to put themselves in harm's way. Because they're not, unlike all of us who are here at home working jobs and doing that, they're not making that kind of money. They're doing it because they love their country and they believe that what they are doing is adding to or in some way supporting what is needed in order for us to maintain that freedom. So we have to do it. And to answer your last question, when we go do those shows, I'm always just humbled beyond words because we're there to let them know how much we appreciate what they're doing and to support them and tell them we love them and, and entertain them. And, and as the USO says, you know, maybe get them, get them, get their headspace back home for just a minute, even though they can't go home, make them feel like a little bit of home is coming to them. <laughs> but I'm always humbled because without fail, every one of them 
want to thank us for what we're doing. And it's like, no, bro, this is nothing. <laughs> this, is, this is what we do. <laughs> we do this at home. So it's actually more fun to do it here to tell y'all. And so it, it's very humbling to be around them. What happened in the interim between your military service full-time and transitioning to a full-time life in music? What, what was that interim period? There was none. It was, was one to the next. I was absolutely, uh, I got the publishing deal while I was still in the army. So I started writing okay. songs while I was in, I was coming home every time I'd get a four day weekend, I would do writers nights and meet up with other writers. Writers would come and meet me in Fort Polk, Louisiana, and we would write songs. And I literally left active duty one day. The next day I reported to Fort Campbell for my active reserve. And I was stationed there working there. I was going in to work and going to the studio and writing songs and cutting a record. Wow. Fort Campbell's what, an hour away yeah. from Nashville? Yeah, Something like that? I went there one time a couple years ago in my ESPN life. We do a huge Veterans Day initiative every year. And I went to Fort Campbell and the 101st guys like put me on this humongous platform and I had to try to rappel down the platform. And it was probably the most awkward damn thing they've ever seen in their life, <laughs> but they were really kind to me and they didn't make ter too much fun of me. Uh, but, you know, seeing what they do, it's just so humbling. I mean, it really makes you feel small and offers great perspective on what they're doing to make sure that we have can have the lives that we have. So super grateful. Well, so where you really came on to my radar was almost home. You know, I'm sure that's that's I'm not alone in that. I'm sure that was where you entered a lot of people's mind and, and radar. That's a really unique song. What inspired you to write it? Well, I started, I had the idea when I was out on the road, my wife was calling me, telling me, uh, you know, I need to come home. And I said, look, just relax. It won't be long. I'm almost home. And I literally wrote that down. Uh, and I thought, man, that might be a good idea for a song. When I got back, I had a writing session with Kerry Kirk Phillips, a guy that I'd written with quite a bit and just a wonderful writer, superhuman being. And I was telling him about it. So we started writing on it and it literally that it developed into what it turned into over a, about a three-month period because we would write a little bit. I'd go out on the road. I'd come back. We'd write a little bit. Some days I'd go in to write, and we wouldn't write nothing. We'd have lunch, and then I'd go back home. And so, <laughs> but just, yeah, it ended up being what it is, and 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 it truly was one of those uh, unique songs. I, I, this is a, a funny story about that song. Uh, I left it. After we had finished, I left there, and Phil O'Donnell, uh, we call him Phil Billy. He was my guitar player, and uh, – he and I were real good friends and, and, and he and I were actually going to be working on that record together. I, I wanted him to come in and, and help me produce the record because I, I knew I needed someone to help me with my vocals because it's kind of hard to sing and listen to yourself at the same time, believe it or not. Uh, so uh, I, I told him about the song. He said, well, read it to me. And I was headed home and I read it to him. And he said, man, you know, that 40 acres I got over in Hickman County that you've been wanting. I said, yeah. He said, I'll give you that 40 acres for half of your publishing on that. I said, well, man, you ain't even heard it. You don't even know the melody. He said, I just love what it says. And I said, man, I can't do that to you. I said that, you know, I can't do it. That ain't right. It wouldn't be fair, man. I thought I'd be cheating him, <laughs> but he knew it something even I didn't know. <laughs> he definitely did. I mean, you talk about resonant songs. Uh, how did it impact your life? How did that specific song that's, I mean, I, I'm sure there's a series of breaks that come, 
Anybody that makes it at all commercially in Nashville, there are breaks upon breaks upon breaks. People that believe in you when maybe you didn't believe in yourself, all that kind of thing, right? But Almost Home was a monster breakthrough for you. So define define its impact in your life. Well, you know, when I was first starting as an artist and and before Almost Home, I had had two singles that were top 40 Mm -hmm. um, that did okay, did videos on both of them, was on Atlantic Records, and then Atlantic Records shut down. Um, so along comes almost home and I'm on a new label and what that song did for me, it was back then we didn't have social media like we do now. We didn't have, uh, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff. We just didn't, it, it didn't exist. So the only way for us as artists to, um, come in contact with the fan base, having not doing shows was through country radio. And so the only way that country radio what you would hear it is if country radio decided to play it. So that's what that, that was a song that country radio played and they played a lot and it became a huge radio hit for us. So that's, that's what that does. So that opened up all the doors. It got the attention of the radio industry. Um, and then we just, we were very fortunate to follow up with some other hits on the next album. You know, all those different avenues now, for young artists, for, for all artists, but specifically for young yard artists coming up. I mean, there's all those ones you mentioned on the social media side. There's YouTube. You can put out your own original stuff and have a built-in audience. And certainly then there's Spotify and Apple Music and all the streaming services too. How would you define how all of that opportunity has changed the industry? Oh, well, you have people that, are, that can make a living in the business without ever having a song played on the radio now. Uh, because of all those digital platforms that you just mentioned, in particular, Spotify, it takes a lot more, takes more plays, uh, you know, uh, per se to get it. But but the money is there now. And so and, and guys are becoming artists without record labels and without country radio. Uh, they're, be, they're you know, they're identifying themselves as singers and selling music through all of those uh, different platforms. And then a record label signs them. So it's a lot like television. Um, you know, used to television was great for that. Uh, remember what was that? Uh, the Lone, uh, uh, not Lone Star. Uh, uh, oh, Nashville, Nashville Star. Star. Yeah. yeah. Miranda Nashville. Lambert was on that show, I think. So believe Nashville it or not. Star was a big deal because it, you know, it launched careers. And I mean, yeah. and now look at what the voice, I mean, it's just unbelievable mm-hmm. what these TV shows. Well, you don't even have to have that. That's that, and radio was all we had. Now, with all these other platforms, man, they, they can get their music out. They can start developing a fan base. Would it have been so? What's easier? I mean, well, I don't. I don't even know how to define easier, Craig. I don't know if that's the yeah. right way to ask the question. But what's better? Does does having the, all those avenues dilute the product at all? I don't think so. I think it could. Uh, you just got to be careful. Uh, I think I alluded to that a while ago. You got to not undersell or oversell yourself. You got to find that yeah. happy medium. And that's a difficult thing to do, especially as a young artist coming up, which is why the record label management, those things were kind of important um, because they there, there was a lot of advice and you didn't have, you could take it or you didn't have to take it, but at least you had a wall to bounce things off of where nowadays it's, you know, this, but I will say it's a global wall that you can bounce things off of. 
And it's instantaneous feedback. That's the big thing with this social media platform. You know, you can play a song and go, hey, what do y'all like about this? And if 100 people happen to see it and they respond and 80 of them love it and 20 of them don't, I'm going with those odds. That's good odds. Sure. Yeah, that's a really good. That's so true, man. I was talking to Travis Tritt on this same podcast, and he was talking about how many guys kind of in his era, as it were, are going to TikTok in droves because of that instant feedback. They can throw ideas out there. They can throw new song concepts out there, maybe even throw new songs out there. And they have this instant feedback that lets them know, cut this thing right now and ship it. And yep. it's just fascinating to me. It's fascinating to me how much it's changing the industry. And so, so back to your, your career, you've always had this way of choosing songs of greater depth. And, you know, I know Redneck Yacht Club ain't one of those, and I know International Harvester ain't one of those, but things like It Ain't Nothing, right? Things like It's What I Love About Sundays. Like, those songs have a little greater depth. What is it about songs like that that, that prompt you to go, yeah, that's me? Well, I, you know, I, I think I draw on, off of life. Uh, you know, we, you said, you know, like Redneck Yacht Club, International Harvester, you know, those aren't real deep songs, but those are very much real life songs. If no I had doubt. a nickel for everybody that came up to me and said, man, we got our own redneck yacht club and our party cove over <laughs> Missouri. And, you know, that's life. I always tell people I'm a redneck yacht club Saturday night. And that's what I love about Sunday, Sunday morning. Um, it's, it's real life. This ain't nothing. Those are true stories. Might not be my true story, uh, but they're true stories and they're, it's, it's real life. So I think anytime for me personally, this, the, the music that I pick and I try to think, I try to find music that the majority of the fan base can relate to. Not everybody that listens to country music is going to relate to every country song, but I try to sing music that they can relate to, that they can feel good about, or strikes an emotion that makes them want to hear it. Because ultimately, if we're not selling music or they're not playing it, uh, we have to be creating a source of revenue some way, or we're not going to be here very long. So, and the way to do that is by writing and recording music that the majority of the fan base wants to hear. And is that how much of that is kind of a separating factor or determining factor in country music? That relatability factor. Oh, I don't know. I mean, like for me, it's it's ninety nine percent. You know, you got to mm -hmm. be able to. Uh, for me. Not everybody does that because, you know, some guys have a different different lane they're in. You know, some guys are in a real thin lane. I feel like my lane is a lot wider than a lot because I don't mind singing a Redneck Yacht Club and singing a, The Father, My Son, the Holy Ghost. Uh, I don't mind being personal with that. Um, but I'm also not a guy that, you know, I've got friends that are writers that, uh, oh, man, this is my baby. You know, and guys get real sensitive if you change a word or, you know, it's like, man, it's a song. <laughs> it's not the end of the freaking world. So you, you know, but, and I'm a writer, so I know that, but like, I've had songs recorded by the artists and go, man, I love what they did. And they changed everything. Like I give her, I could care less. Mail me the money. <laughs> yeah, man. Show me that paper. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You mentioned the Father, my Son, and the Holy Ghost. I I got to dive into that and and everything that came with it. Uh, first of all, I just want to say to you, since I can look you in the eye uh, virtually, but uh, the courage 
the courage that it took to, to share that part of yourself and, and that piece of your soul with the world was very, very moving and very emotional for anybody who has had the opportunity to hear that song and certainly anyone who's had the opportunity to see you sing that song. Um, what, what, what was the personal challenge for you to get to the place where you could do that? Oh, I, I'm not in that place, man. That was a God thing. Um, I don't know that, you know, when, when you lose a child and I, I can say this, uh, and I've spoke with uh, other couples who have lost children or had children die. Um, man, your whole world is forever changed. It's not something you get over. It's not something you get used to. You just get better at dealing with it on a daily basis is all. Um, so for me, there's, I, I'm not, I'm not courageous at all. In fact, I'm super weak, dude. Uh, I, that's a God thing. Uh, and I'm, I'm more scared of God and not doing what he might want me to do than I am of my own inadequate, uh, personality traits, uh, which is why I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem singing it when I can sing it. There are days when I, I know I can't do it when we're doing a show and I tell the band, we're not doing this tonight. I just don't have it in me. I don't have the energy. Uh, I put a lot of energy into my show, into my singing. Uh, and that song takes so much out of me physically that it's almost hard to continue afterwards. Uh, it just takes a lot of energy to not, to try to restrain my emotions because of what it's about. It's just that simple. It's as true to life as anything I've ever written or, or experienced. So, so it's a difficult song to sing. And every time I sing it, it just, you know, it's like, uh, you know, ripping the wound back open again, as it healed, it feel like it might be healing a little bit and it just rips it wide open, but, but I'm okay with that. You know, I'm not, I'm not as concerned about what people think about me as much as I am concerned about what God wants from me. Uh, and now again, that don't mean I'm, any good person i'm not trying to say i'm a good dude or nothing i'm just saying that's that's where my head is and that's where it'll it'll be until i until i get to see him again well i i appreciate your humility about it but it is extremely courageous and it's courageous because you're willing to do what you believe the lord is is guiding you to do and i would have to imagine that parents who've, who've experienced such a, a, a awful tragedy must reach out to you that those words are a vehicle for them in some way as well is that accurate does that happen 100 percent, more so than anything i've ever recorded i've never received feedback on a song like we did on this song and still do today uh it's it's mind-boggling and it's a song that country radio did not play uh that song uh became the most downloaded song on itunes four times in a row first time it's ever happened in any genre so and that was without country radio playing it so that tells you something about what god can do and no matter what we think we're doing or whatever you know he can take something that everybody says will not work and make it be just dumb <laughs> but but the thing is that's that's why i take comfort in doing it because I know that there's people out there that need to hear it. And it's just been, it's been uh, very humbling to get the remarks where people talk about how, uh, I mean, I had a man, uh, there's a couple in particular, but one that stood out in the beginning early on, he hadn't lost a child. He said he dropped his kid off at school 
and he was listening to it on the radio, on the satellite radio. He said he pulled over and started crying. He went back to the school and checked his daughter out of school. He said, I'm, I went and checked her out because I wasn't, I wasn't, I was going to spend that day with her. That's what it did to me. And he said, I haven't lost a child and I can't fathom that, but it makes me, that song made me want to do everything I can to spend more time with my kid. And I've talked to parents of other parents who've lost children. I talked to a lady, uh, lost a child five years previous and said she hadn't stopped drinking since that child, but she no longer drinks after hearing this. She knows that there's hope, but that's not me. You know, that ain't me that did that. That's, that's God. Every time I'm on that stage, man, and I sing that song, I, I, beforehand, I say a little quick prayer for him to hold me up because sometimes it's so difficult. I mean, it literally, my knees get weak and my chest hurts. And, um, but you know, he gives me strength. I get through it. And then, uh, and then we just keep moving forward. So I'm going to ask this and, and you can, uh, first of all, uh, say if it's too much, you just tell me, I, I have no qualms, but I'm close with Kyle Petty. Uh, I covered NASCAR racing for many years, and Kyle, of course, lost his son Adam in a in an auto racing accident in 2000. And I used to ask Kyle. I asked Kyle once, "Why do you keep driving? Like, what do you keep driving for?" And being in the number 45 car made him feel closer to Adam. And so I wonder, does does the opportunity to share? that gospel, because that's really what it is, Craig, share that gospel with your fans and the world make you feel closer to, to your son? It probably does. I mean, I don't think about it. I, I just kind of do it, but you know, my wife and I, we talk about Jerry Steele and I, and, and maybe that's why singing that song brings him to the forefront of my conversation, even though I'm not telling people about my son in doing that song, everyone out there knows, um, like, like the song says, you know, I know he's not here, but he ain't gone. Uh, and so, so yeah, it probably does. It, it probably does. And I, you know, I took a year or so off, uh, after Jerry died and I wasn't sure if I wanted to sing again or come back. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I realized that, you know, he would never want me to be like that. In fact, if I got, if I started getting, and I did, I started getting a little, I started gaining weight and getting lazy and just kind of down. I wouldn't say I was depressed, but I was extremely sad because of everything, you know, and I just didn't, wasn't sure what to do and how to deal with it properly, I guess. And, and uh, I thought about it. I thought, man, he would be so disappointed in me if I didn't try to be everything that I could possibly be uh, at all times. And that's because that's what he did. Um, so, you know, that, that right. Knowing that, I, I pushed myself to not, uh, not be the guy that people felt sorry for. Instead, I want people to, to see me and, and go, man, whatever he's reading, drinking, eating, I want some of it. So, uh, and I still, and I feel that way stronger now than I ever have, because if I'm not doing that, uh, then I'm not doing God the justice he deserves. Well, you can think whatever you want, brother, that's courage. And it's inspiring to me and it's inspiring to a whole, whole lot of other people. So thank you for that courage. Um, no real easy way to transition, but I do wonder uh, what, what's going on now and, and what's kind of what's ahead for you here. I know you have a new TV show, too, right? Yep, working on uh, uh, I'm actually working on a new outdoor show that we well, I'm on the second season now of this outdoor show, uh, which is a lot of fun. Uh, it's not just me. I'm working with some other guys. Uh, it's called On the Road 
outdoors, OTR outdoors. It's awesome. We have a lot of fun. So there's not as much pressure on me to try to accomplish something as much because there's three other guys that are, are there as well most of the time. Um, doing a lot of made-for-TV movies, if you can believe that. That's are funny. you, man? Man, I'm in some Hallmark movies. and <laughs> Are you? That's awesome. Like, okay, hey, I right, love what kind, it. What kind of parts are we playing here? Uh, uh, I played a Christmas movie where I played the part of an older brother who was trying to set the younger brother straight. He was in love with the girl. So I, it was a supporting role. I played the part of, uh, what was that other one I did? Let me see. Oh, I played a military commander, which was an easy role for oh, me. Oh, so you had that down, Pat. Yeah, I, uh, I was the commander of a unit that helped process service members out of the military into civilian life. But I was the military liaison for that, for that office um opposite uh with Jana Kramer uh so that was a fun movie um I, I did Rizzoli and Isles that tv show I did that a couple times sure. um done a few things yeah it's been a lot of fun uh got a new movie I just got uh I, I can't say this one yet I may have another movie coming up <laughs> uh, I'll find out when the offer comes in in a few days <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so cool, man. Having that kind of diversity in your career and and whatnot is invigorating. I know I'm really blessed with a lot of diversity in mine, too. And it definitely keeps you hopping. It keeps your mind really sharp, which I love. I think that's very important, you know. But, you, you know, having done the music now for 20 years, uh, and I still absolutely love it. And there's days when I can't write enough. I love writing. And sometimes a melody or an idea gets in my head and I'll call some of the guys now and go, hey, come on over. We got to write this now. And that's, I haven't felt that in a long time. I'll be honest. Uh, when my son died, it was just, I didn't feel like doing that. I didn't have that energy to pursue a new song as much. When I wrote the Father, My Son, and Holy Ghost, I mean, I literally woke up at three o'clock in the morning, and went down to bass song um it was a god thing but now I, I have that excitement uh to write more and 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 i think a lot of that comes from during the pandemic we had to diversify to some degree so no in doing these other things it created this uh my creative juices got flowing a little more and so it got me a, a lot more excited about getting back out on the road and you know even now we're still not fully out there touring and we won't be until probably august uh july and august we'll start doing more shows um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, so it, uh, it's, uh, it's exciting to do those kind of things to diversify a little bit and, you know, keep the, keep the creative juices flowing. Last thing, and I'll let you run brother. You talk about going and playing shows for those of us who are passionate country music fans. I can't wait. I mean, I can't wait to feel that energy again, because there's no energy like artist and crowd. I mean, there's just, it's just the best energy. How much, what kind of void was that for you during the pandemic when you, even if you wanted to go play a show, you could. Yeah, it was weird, you know, cause the Grand Ole Opry kept running. So we did, a, we did the Grand Ole Opry a few times uh, without a crowd, super odd. Uh, we did these, uh, I did this thing called Fridays at four where we played live on, on Fridays at one or every other Friday or one Friday a month, something like that during the pandemic, just to kind of keep, you know, the music out there to some degree. Uh, it was really weird. And I didn't, at first I was like, man, this pandemic thing is awesome. It's like a forced vacation, you know? <laughs> uh, it, really it was awesome for about one week. 
Oh no, I was good for a few months, man. I was ready to, I needed it. But then, but then it's like, man, is this thing going to last? I mean, surely we're going to come out after years. Like, Oh my gosh, man, we were so starving to go work. Uh, just because you're right. There's nothing I can, me and you can talk like this, but there's a different energy when we're sitting beside each other, no doubt. I can't, and wait you can that. feel that it's hard to yeah. explain to people, but you can feel that energy. Uh, and it's a different dynamic. So magnify that times a hundred for the stage performance stuff. Um, so when we got back out and we just recently did a, a couple acoustic shows and we got big shows coming up, man, it's, it's a wonderful feeling. And it just uh, it humbles me that much more, makes me that much, much more grateful that much more grateful for what we get to do. Well, I can't wait to see you back out there, brother. And I can't wait to be back immersed in the, in the live show form. I'll tell you, just as an aside, I was at the Kentucky Derby last weekend, cover that for ESPN. And there was about 70, 65, 70,000 people there. And it felt so beautiful because you could just sense it. Everybody there felt the same way. That, yeah. Oh my God, here's this energy again. We have real, we have live event energy. And it just felt amazing. So can't wait to see you back out there. And I'm so grateful for you, brother, and your vulnerability and your honesty and your truth. So thank you for spending time with me, Craig. Thank you, buddy. Make sure uh, everybody that you talk to, they can check us out on all the socials. Uh, I wish I could tell you I knew. I think CM All Access is my Twitter and my Facebook, my TikTok, which I got to tell you, dude, that is a lot of fun. <laughs> but you can get in a TikTok hole. You see, I don't do it. I don't, I, oh, I don't, my wife it's wants so me to have it. I don't want it. I, Craig, I hate, <laughs> I, I understand in our world, yeah. the more social media, the better, quote unquote. But what else but, are we going to do? I'm just tired of all the different things, huh? I, I hate it. I mean, I hate it, man, <laughs> but whatever. It's part of, part of the entertainment world, well, I guess. It is. It's part of the gig, man. But my wife hates the TikTok thing. And man, I have more fun trying to get her to do a TikTok with me because she won't do it. She'll run away from me and stuff. It's the funniest <laughs> thing. You'll have to follow me if you don't do it for no other reason, just to check that out. I will for sure. Appreciate right, you, brother. Told you guys it was amazing. Thanks so much to Craig for taking the time. Thank you guys for listening to The Road You Leave Behind. We have so many amazing episodes to come. Trace Atkins and Chase Rice are coming up in very short order. Also, Lee Bryce as well we have a brand new studio that we're building in nashville and so you won't have to see me standing in front of uh the castle here at disney for too much longer we are so grateful for your passion for this project guys thank you please subscribe rate and review it matters to us and what we're trying to build here at outsider again thank you so much to craig morgan not only for his vulnerability and his passion but for his service to the united states of america we live in the greatest land we are free I do not take that for granted, and it's people like Craig and all of his brothers and sisters in the military that allow us to go and do and become whatever we want to. This is The Road You Leave Behind on Outsider. I'm your host, Marty Smith. We'll see y'all next time around.